All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. No, it's not. I think it is. Is it? No, that's it. No, 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 it sounds really, really similar. It's like some escape theme from some Final Fantasy, and I just, I always get the two no. confused. No, that's I don't it. Know anyway, welcome to our <laughs> podcast. This is the current Untitled One. Uh, this is kind of our test run right here. Uh, we are two friends who met over in Korea. We bought the, well, uh, we both taught English over there for about two years, and. We fostered a wonderful friendship that we still keep to this day of our love of watching people get brutally murdered in many, many, many different ways in the form of horror movies and occasionally at the news cycle as well. My name is Dan. I am currently down here in the south in the um, state of North Carolina. And would you like to introduce yourself, my other cohort? Uh, sure. My name is Andrew, and I'm currently in the northeast of Massachusetts. Now, Andrew, I hear that you have a dog that's standing up right now. I do, yeah. He's running around being a dick. He's uh, ripping apart his toys on my bed. He's having a great grand old time. That is wonderful. And Andrew, is it also not true or not true that you currently ordered food? I did order food. It is sitting next to me, and I'm, I'm looking at it longingly. That is, that is wonderful. So we're going to wrap this up very quick. Thanks for listening, everyone. Appreciate it. And Andrew's got to eat. Anyway, so what we're going to talk about today is this actually started from this discussion we had that got very, very heated on Facebook, where we talked back and forth about the new Halloween movie. Now, both of us are big fans of the series. Well, I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. How about you, Andrew? an okay fan like, yeah that, that's pretty much what i say yeah. like i mean the original is a classic that's a given i really liked h2o the rest mm. of them i can kind of take them or leave them except for season of the witch like i really i i, I kind of wish they went with the whole anthology series for that one but that's neither yeah. here or there but what we're talking about today is the very very brand new one halloween and just to give a little background information on that so Andrew saw it about a week, two weeks ago, and he immediately spent about a half hour just messaging me back and forth on Facebook on his thoughts of the movie. And he followed up with, hey, we should start a podcast because apparently I have a lot to say on this subject. And that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. So Andrew, what did you think of Halloween 2018, the slasher film directed by David Gordon Green and written by Green, Jeff Faley, and Danny McBride? Holy shit, really? Danny McBride? You didn't know that? I did not know that. Oh, the the dude, Pineapple Express guy? Point. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, dude, he's in horror all over the place now. He was in Alien Covenant, too. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my God, so he's going to be coming back up again in the next couple episodes. All right, wow. All right. Anyway, so... Blumhouse or put their new spin on the Halloween franchise. And Andrew, overall, what'd you think of it? Uh, I thought it was an inoffensive movie, but I didn't think it needed to exist, or at least it didn't need to be reinvented. Okay. They didn't need to kind of create a new franchise for it. I think they could have just continued with the current franchise because it didn't okay. really add anything for me. Now, are you talking about the current franchise in terms of Halloween? spreading into the Curse of Micah Myers and the Revenge of Micah Myers and whatever it is? Are you talking about the franchise in terms of H2O and then Resurrection? Are you talking your Rob Zombie reboot as well, that sort of franchise right there? Which, because there's so many forks to this franchise that it honestly gets really, really confusing. So which one are you talking about? I think just the original franchise. Like, okay. I'd, I'd say, you know, everything except for the, the Rob Zombie versions. Like, uh-huh. I know they brought Laurie Strode back for this, and she died in the beginning of Resurrection, but... yeah. I feel like we could have just omitted Resurrection and continued the story, and that would have been fine. Yeah, absolutely. And I just uh, also want to say, too, to anyone who is listening, uh, obviously major spoilers for pretty much the whole following franchise, I want to say, in this episode. I don't know. I just Whenever I listen to podcasts, then people are always just saying, oh, this is a spoiler, or this character dies, or this happens. I'm always like, god damn it, why don't you give us a warning? So this is our warning for that one. And... I also do host another podcast with two of my other friends. We talk about video games, and we are very, very bad about spoilers on that one. So if there's any crossover fans, my bad. <laughs> so anyway, you're saying it's inoffensive. Didn't need to exist. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, how about yourself? I enjoyed it. 
I thought my biggest problems with it was it's very hard to stray that line between homage and just reusing the same idea over and over again. And I do felt they they moved a little bit into the ladder on that one. They, they, they mm-hmm. moved a little bit too far on that one. They could have reeled it in. They could have made it more original on their own, let the movie stand on its own. Um, and I thought that humor, too. The humor was my biggest detriment to the movie because some of it really, really, really hit home. And some of it just took me out of the movie. Like, yeah. am I watching slapstick at this point? What, what's going on here? I really... It really took away from the horror of the moment, which was a shame because I thought there were some really good kills and there were some really, really tense moments. But, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. Yeah. I, feel like, I feel like the kills are actually probably one of the strengths of it, but they definitely yeah. kind of undercut it a lot with the weird kind of awkward humor that just seemed kind of out of nowhere and almost just written in to make some lighthearted moments that weren't really necessary. Exactly. Like the scene with the kid, which everyone in my theater was just busting gut at. It was this kid who comes on in. It's it's the whole babysitter scene from the first movie again. The kid, you think, you know, oh, the kid sees something in the closet and the babysitter goes up to investigate. And then, of course, she dies. But the twist in this one is that the kid is 10 years old and he swears. He swears a lot. And he's like, oh, fuck, get out of here. Oh, shit, you got to die. And... It's played for laughs in this really, really, really tense scene. And I just, I, it took a lot out of it. And you know, then, actually, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, actually, for me, that actually worked pretty well. And, and for me, it worked because I felt, like, I agree it felt out of place. But uh-huh. it also felt like, in terms of the homage, it felt like a great callback to those kind of 70s and 80s horror movies where those characters did exist. I feel like in modern horror movies, we don't see that. But back in that era of movies, we'd always see these kind of quirky characters. You know, the character who swears too much, like the whole yeah. Goonies kind of thing, where we have uh-huh. these characters who would just potty mouth, and you're kind of like, man, that seems, you know, yeah, out yeah, of place. like a Friday the Thirteenth sort of thing, where just the later sequels and even even the earlier sequels are just everyone's just a walking stereotype. Yeah, yeah. But well, I mean, for, for, for it, me, that was good. I mean, as a homage, I agree with that. But in terms of the tone, like the A plot was trying to set up with Laurie Strode battling her demons going back and forth in that aspect i i felt there was a big contrast between the two and again i guess it just kind of stems from the fact that the tone was all over the place in this movie yeah like i i think i told you the soup before but it, to me it almost felt like there were so many characters that they like half developed or invested a lot of time in uh-huh. who were then just cut so quickly that it felt like there must be like another third of the movie that's just somewhere on the cutting room floor where these characters did more or like, these plots they developed, like, somehow went somewhere. Like, the, the entire arc with the, the daughter just went nowhere. Like, the, mm-hmm. the boyfriend, like, it's... it provided a reason for her not to have a phone, I guess, and, like, provided yeah, and death. Then, but that's I, I really do think there was some sort of kill scene somewhere that, with the boyfriends, where he dies in a horrible way, but it was just, it didn't make it into the movie. Yeah, I, I, that really annoyed me, too. So, what do you think about the characters of the reporters, or the podcasters in this story i thought it was an interesting way to incorporate and establish where michael has been for the last what was it 20 years 40 years something like that yeah something 40 like that. i think yeah the last couple de- decades i thought it was an interesting way to establish that i also thought it was an interesting way to establish that oh this is present day this is what's been going on, um, and this is what the reputation of the babysitter murders is in this new world. And I thought, I mean, definitely they were just a vehicle for him to get the mask. Mm-hmm. But I do feel like they, their arc was pretty well developed. I really, really, really liked the bathroom scene where they both got horribly killed by Michael. Just, well, it starts off with the guy at the gas station just getting curb stomped on that desk. That was, that was horrific. And then, the girl hiding in the stall and trying to crawl her way out as Michael is just banging on the doors and grabbing her by the hair. Guy comes on in, tries to save her, doesn't. And it's just this really, really helpless scene. And I felt they really did it very well. And that is something that I feel a lot of the kills in the movie. I really liked, and it didn't happen in the bathroom scene, but the scene preceding it's where the mechanic dies and you kind of see it in the background. You kind of see Michael cutting him up in the background and then the guy in the front desk dying. You see the start of the kill, but you don't see the entire thing. 
and then you yeah. see the aftermath. And I really liked that because you, your mind kind of filled in the blanks. And with horror movies, nine times out of ten, what you dream up in your head is going to be more horrific than what actually occurs on screen. And I thought that was kind of a nice course correction from the from the Rob Zombie series. I thought the Rob Zombie series focused a lot on the dirt and the grime and the, the gore. So I thought mm-hmm. that, that was kind of a nice a nice correction to not have to just see over-the-top gore for no reason. Yeah, definitely. So what did you think of the A-plot in terms of the character art with Jamie Lee Curtis as Laurie Strode? I See, I, I knew what they were going for, and I, I heard a lot of people kind of talk of this film as like a feminist film because it has, you know, the three main Strode characters uh, get away in the end. But I, I but like I, I didn't actually get that feeling. It felt like... Maybe that was something they said after they made the film, but to me it felt like Laurie's character was kind of, I don't know, like almost had a kind of, like maybe like Ash Williamsy or a kind of like, he was, she was there, she was kind of a a character that we should all know and we should all like Jamie Lee Curtis because, you know, it's Laurie Strode from the first movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But I felt like so much emphasis was put on her without her actually doing anything. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I felt like she had very little role in it, especially with all these diverse plots they put into it. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah. The ninety percent of the film, she's there to say Michael is terrible, and I prepared for several decades because of it. Exactly, and like, mm-hmm. and there's some like weird scenes with her that I just didn't quite get. Like, she, I get that she's supposed to. It's supposed to pick up somebody who's unstable and somebody who's afraid of what's going on, but she seems very in control of herself um, for most of the scenes, except when they decide to not make her in control of herself. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does some weird ass shit, like stand outside this uh her granddaughter's school awkwardly and just stand there when she could probably go into the office and say like hey i'm here to see my granddaughter or mm-hmm. so many um, other things. I, I think that might have been i don't know it, it was very clear that the mom did not want her to see her granddaughter so i'm wondering if that was just her way of well one i mean we we both know the reason why they included that in there it was because it was a homage when laura strode sees michael myers across the street only this time it's Jamie Lee Curtis standing over there, but like yeah, I they did they did that a couple times because they did the same thing at the end with the the falling off the balcony scene. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I feel like one of those is okay, but both of them is kind of just yeah, like, and that it, kind of goes too back much to of what homage. I was saying. Yeah, that goes back to what I was saying earlier, where just they they crossed the line way too many times in the homages. Um, but yeah, no, I, I I agree with. I felt like okay. So my question for you is, if they're taking this angle of Laurie Strode being this vengeful woman who is still tormented by the demons of Michael Myers, what could they have done to change that up? What could they have done with her to not have you have these complaints? So I feel like they could have had her making decisions that benefited her, like, for one, leaving Haddonfield. Like, why why is she still in Haddonfield? Why Mm -hmm. is she near Michael Myers? Why would she be so easily accessible to him? Like, in okay. H2O, which I think a lot of people consider it to be a pretty good movie in the series, uh-huh. she changes her name. She moves. She gets yeah. out of there. They have this witness protection, basically, for her. And that Laurie Strode seemed to respond to the situation a lot better. Like, this mm-hmm. Laurie Strode basically avoids the police until they kind of bump into him. She mm-hmm. sets up this death trap house, which is cool, but, like, a shotgun to the face would do the same thing as burning him as alive underneath the house. Like, she, she sets up this very ridiculously over-the-top kind of, like, mouse trap for him. Mm-hmm. When a direct method would be a lot more efficient, like it makes her seem like know, Macaulay her... Culkin in Home Alone. Yeah, like I, I feel like for me, a stronger story would have been to not have Laurie Strode, but maybe to have developed, say, uh, developed the podcasters, had them be more of a central role. Like you know, get rid of the weird, however the fuck they obtain that mask from the police, which I don't know why they ever give that to them. Have uh-huh. them go there, have the breakout happen, have them you know have to experience this horrific thing they've been studying this whole time. And, you know, I have to mention at one point that maybe, hey, they tried to get into contact with Laurie Strode, never got back. And as he gets free and as he comes after them, Laurie Strode appears. Like, Laurie Strode, maybe third act, shows up. Mm-hmm. And like, it's a very big, like, hero comes in moment and saves everyone's asses. Oh, exactly. And maybe not even have her be some badass hero, just have, have her appear. Have her be like, hey, I heard this is going on. Like, mm-hmm. I think having, like, I think having her be a scarred character could have easily been shown in a lot less time they spent showing it. I feel like they, they just kept hammering home, yep, Laurie's messed up, Laurie's broken, yeah. here's all these situations of it, and you're like, I get it, that's great. Yeah, um, and I can say that too, because, you know, it is like, okay, so it destroyed her relationship with her daughter, it destroyed her relationship with her granddaughter, it destroyed her reputation in the Haddonfield community, and... <sighs> yeah. Yeah, they, they definitely hammered it in a bit too thick in terms of how these babysitter murders have affected her. 
And again, I mean, this is the third time I brought this up, but it really... It st- doesn't... St- the movie doesn't stand on its own as much as it stands on the shoulders of the first movie. Well, and I, I think that's part of the issue, is I think it has so much homage to the, to the original franchise, mm-hmm. but it also pretends that the original franchise doesn't exist. Like, that, the whole point of getting rid of them being blood-related. Blood yeah. If Michael Myers is this mindless killer who is just, you know, the, the shape, he's just evil incarnate, he just kills and that's what he does, why is he coming after Laurie? Why does mm-hmm. he care about her? Why is he, like, hunting down her family? Like, it, they got rid of the connection that made them have a bond, and they could have, you know, I think if they kept the second movie canon, they would have helped a little bit. But they got rid of that, threw that out, and then still implied that Laurie has significance. When in reality, she should just be like, like a you know, a Jason kill. Like she should, she should be like any of those characters who were there. They were there at the wrong time. They got caught up. But in the end, the killer isn't invested in them. The killer is just killing. Yeah. Now, but, what's the counterpoints? Because I remember we talked about this on Facebook. What's the counterpoint in that I argued Laurie was the one who got away? To Michael, she's kind of like an unfinished sandwich. But but does do we ever get the impression that he thinks that way? Like we, we never we never we never see his psyche to show that we see him again as as a weird shape. Like mm-hmm. and and that kind of brings back like up to the idea of like what is Michael's thought process? Like because um, earlier in the series, like earlier in the movie, and I, this is again kind of a spoiler, but you know, there's the Loomis replacement who I, <laughs> I think is a, is one of the worst characters in this fucking movie. <laughs> I just but, love the uh, part where that when there's the line of dialogue that literally says he's the new Loomis and like everyone just looks at the camera like, yeah, we all know what's going on here. Oh but, like, God. Was he necessary? No. Like, like uh-huh. Lori, every, like again, Lori could be our Loomis. Lori should be the Loomis in this situation. Yeah. She should uh-huh. be the one educating us about him. But instead we have this character who does nothing throughout most of the movie. And it's, it's implied that he theoretically is the one who lets Michael off the bus. He starts mm-hmm. the original, he stage original, um, you know, kind of breakout. And Michael doesn't kill him then. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead, we just have him bump around a little bit up here every now and then, kind of like the original Loomis. Because the original Loomis, despite what we remember, isn't actually that present in the first movie. He pops around a little bit, but doesn't really do anything until the very end. And yeah. this character, they keep pushing forward. He goes, oh, he's Loomis, oh, he's Loomis. But again, Loomis isn't really that big of a character in the first one. Yeah, and, and then they have then, the twist where, you know, he's obsessed with Michael so much that he kills the police officer just to free Michael and be able to study him a little bit more. And I felt it was an interesting twist on the archetype, but I definitely do not feel like they nailed the execution at all. Well, because once he's revealed to be an antagonist in the story the only thing he does is basically just provide a means for the daughter to get to the cabin at the very end where the climax is. And then otherwise, well, he's, he's useless for the rest of the movie. Well, even that, he's immediately killed right after he does that. Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Like, part of what I hate about his character is, like, so it's this character who theoretically has been a psychologist for years. He trained her to Loomis. Um, he's been at least 40 years because Loomis died, you know, pretty soon after that, theoretically. Um, and he decides to throw his entire career away one night and, I guess, carries around apparently an ex- retractable scalpel and a pen just for funsies. Yeah, was like, that established at all that he had that retractable scalpel? Nope. It was literally uh, disguised yeah, as I, a pen. Like, yeah, and like, I, I'm trying to think. In, like, the very first scene with the reporters in the insane asylum, like, do they make mention of that pen? Is there there's some sort of shot where, like, it zooms in on the pen? Or not even just zooms it, just somewhere in the shot. I don't, I, I don't know. Like, it could have been a nice payoff, though, if they maybe had him sign something, and then he reached for the pen and realized he couldn't use it. You kind of see him go for it and then take his hand away. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, ho, ho, that's my fake scalpel pen. Sorry about that, guys. And then he winks at the camera after he says, by the way, I'm in the new Dr. Loomis. Like, yeah, exactly. Something, but, like, or, you know, or maybe, maybe, you know, if somebody was like, you know, I heard Dr. Loomis went crazy at the end of his years. And uh-huh. like, oh, don't worry, I'm not that kind of guy. Like, that would be, like, you know, some kind of illusion to that or something. And then he but winks at the camera and then he goes, by the way, I'm the new Dr. Loomis. Yeah. Like, <laughs> It's just. I'm sorry. I just. I can't get over that line, though. Oh God, he's the new Loomis. I'm the new Loomis. Yes, we get it. We get it. Movie. We get it. Well, and the movie obviously thought like by saying it, it doesn't make it you know Uh bad writing. You're like, no, no, no. It's still bad writing. You just (laughs) fucking said it. That makes even worse writing. Uh huh. Like, but like, I I just can't think of him as like his character doesn't make any sense to me. Like, did he really throw his entire career away? Just like Mm -hmm. fuck it. Like. I'm gonna free this man from a first from a fucking prison bus and hopefully not get killed by any of the inmates or this guy. Yeah. And then I'm gonna kill this sheriff later. Like, and I guess one of the things that irks me the most is that sheriff. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's the guy from Remember the Titans. Like, uh, his character would have been Patton. so interesting to develop. Like, 
he was the original or one of the original resting cops from the from the earlier um, movie. Like mm-hmm. he would have been an interesting character. Like I think him and Lori should like they show that they have a history when they bump into each other. That's the first time we see it. But it would have been great to see like them teaming up or them you know talking about how it's shaped their lives. How you know he saw these people die on his watch and she's one of the people like the survivors. He's somebody she cares about um, because you know he maybe feels like she's the person he saved. Uh, yeah, they went through a traumatic experience together and they bonded yeah. over that since. Uh, you can establish that he's got some PTSD from it too. Maybe he's taken a lot better than Laurie is, but I don't know. That would have been a nice dichotomy if we still kept the Laurie Strode being crazily tormented by everything that happened to her in the first movie contrasted with an officer who's still struggling with those demons, but he's handling it a lot better. Then you can figure out the dichotomy of, okay, how much of that is just Laurie being Laurie and how much of that is the actual police officer. So, And it could, it could have been a character arc for them. Because in this movie, she doesn't really have a character arc. No. But, like, but it could have been one. It could have been her, you know, them being two extremes. Him pushing past it, saying it doesn't bother him. Her letting it consume her life. And at the end, they kind of have this moment where it's like, okay, neither of us are doing this right. We can both learn from this experience, but we have like him has to, he has to learn that it affected him, and he has to admit it. And her, she has to realize that she can't let it run her life. Mm-hmm. Like she's defeated by this. Like as the character, Laurie is not somebody to applaud. Laurie is somebody who's defeated by this one incident that happened to her. She's not. She's not like. And I get maybe that's the idea. Maybe the idea that she's like, oh look, this is what a victim can look like. But they also played off like she's a heroic character, which she's some. Yeah, like, no, they definitely. I I definitely agree with that last, but I don't think that you're supposed to. I definitely feel like the entire movie, she is the heroic character who is suffering through her demons, but she's mistreated. She's misunderstood. And everything she's done, all the crazy things, raising her daughter to be a badass warrior and destroying her relationship with her family is eventually proven right in the end. I mean, all the naysayers who were saying, oh, you're crazy, Laurie, this is not supposed to be the way it is, besides the daughter, end up dead. And but, the very last scene is the three of them going, being awesome together, bonding together all over this, and riding off in the sunset on the back of that truck. But even, like, thinking about that, like, was she really right? Because Michael wasn't some unstoppable force who got out. He had a fucking crazy Dr. Loomis who let him out. Like, Michael didn't get himself out of this shit. Uh-huh. And a psycho, another psychopath did. Like, in the end, without this Loomis character, and... <laughs> Like, the, you know, the crazy opportunity these, these podcasters happened to be there that day to see the fucking mask and shit. Like, mm-hmm. none of this would have happened. Lori would have just been, you know, died with a weird trap in her house. And somebody probably would have, you know, unfortunately found it later and gotten hurt by it. Like, uh-huh. this, this story is very much like, was Lori really right? Because Michael would not have ever escaped if it were not for the Doctor. Yeah, I... Well, the twist is, in midway through the movie, is that... Lori didn't do all that to prepare for Michael's eventual return. She did it because she wanted to finish Michael herself. And that's why she was outside when they were transferring him to the other facility because she was hoping he was going to escape. I mean, there was that one scene where she admits it fully on. I don't know if he didn't escape. She would go on in and she would try and figure it out on her own. Oh my god, I'm just... I, I had this idea of Laurie, this fan theory of Laurie being the one who crashed the bus just so she could get the opportunity to kill Michael. That... I, I hope that's not the case. That that would that would weaken her character even more for me. It would, but I mean, if you, like, run with that idea a little bit, not... not I mean, take some adaptations with the movie and take some adaptations of the story, but if they went on that direction where just Laurie was this extremely broken and she ends up being some sort of antagonist of the film... I don't know. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, at this point, I might rather just have the thorn back and have that the man in black who lets Michael out and is the one who gives him the car in the first movie. That kind of retcon they added in uh-huh. the first of Michael Myers. Like, to me, that that's more enjoyable. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I Like, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like with Laurie's character, like, okay, this is, I, I don't usually say this. Okay. But I feel like Shane Black's Iron Man 3 had a better depiction of a character suffering from a traumatic event. Mm-hmm. I don't think the movie's very good. And I also hate Shane Black since he made it a predator. <laughs> but, like, that is a character who is scarred and, again, overprepared uh-huh. and did some stupid shit. But to me, like, his actions made sense. Yeah. And made him a more interesting character, made him a character who you sympathize with. Because mm-hmm. he's still trying to do the right. Well, okay, so what is the big difference between 
Tony Stark and Laurie Strode in, in terms, terms of, of how they handle their post-traumatic well, stress. I think, again, I think, I think it would have been an interesting thing to see kind of immediately after, which we can't do because, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is older. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess we kind of got that for number two. Uh, but I feel like after 40 years, I expected her to be either to be more put together or at least be able to, I don't know, pretend to be in part of normal society more than she is. Mm-hmm. I feel like I like I think having all these steps she's took, taken would have been great, but she should have at least by now pretended to be more normal. Like, you know, maybe have it show that she's crazy, but let it kind of leak out over time, mm-hmm. not just kind of shove it in your face at the beginning of the movie. Yeah, instead of the podcasters going on up to her crazy cottage in the woods with a million different traps all around and establishing, or it doesn't even show us, it tells us that the daughter is estranged with Laurie Strode. Mm-hmm. But like little scenes, like the birthday or the graduation party where Laurie comes on in and she's trying to keep it together the best she can, and then that would be a moment to reveal a crack that oh, they're moving Michael tonight, and she's really, really stressed out about that. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And handling well, like, that. And even there, like, so if Lori is, has been some reclusive, like, you know, antisocial person all this time, what did she do for a job? How did she have the money to afford all this? How did she raise a child? What was going on? Like, there's so many things that you wonder about her, her life that we don't quite get anything about. And it's yeah, kind of and then, like... Where she is now, not makes sense. And then, think about this, too... In the very first movie, I mean, she was just a teenage girl. Mm. There really weren't any... I mean, she was resourceful. But besides that, I I wouldn't say there were any establishing character... Character traits about her besides the fact that, you know, she was the original final girl. Yeah, she was the virginal character. That's that's the part of the thing about it, is that was her only defining thing. They they could have gone anywhere with her. And they kind of... They almost kept her flat. Like, I almost feel like they just kept her that same unexplored character aside from the uh-huh. fact that she'd been killed by Michael or had been hunted by Michael I apologize yeah and it defines pretty much everything in her life and I that was that was what I was going for but yeah I agree it was a little bit one dimensional on that aspect like actually yeah. one thing that I was thinking about when I was thinking about the movie is like I was thinking like that scene with the babysitter like the one of the few characters I was invested in was that babysitter I thought she was an interesting character like I thought they developed her a little bit they developed her personality and interaction with the other characters she you know seems like a good person mm-hmm. overall like she wasn't she was you know obviously supposed to be the friend who got killed uh in the first movie when they're kind of fucking in the bed but yeah. you know she overall was a good person like mm-hmm. cared about the kid like we they, we invested we got invested in her which made her kill kind of more sad but like i was thinking about it and like i feel like i would have rather seen a movie about her fighting michael mm-hmm. at this point like because she was a developed character who was interesting it could have been her protecting the, the kid and again then had maybe helped pop in at the end like I feel like every character except for the character they focused on, I was more interested in. Mm-hmm. So maybe Laurie being regaled to some sort of supporting role in this one, which is what we've been talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Babysitter, I mean, she didn't, I, I don't feel like she had a lot of time to shine. But every other character seemed to be very atypical. Like, we had the dad who was, from the very first scene, established to be the annoying husband who can't do anything right and is just kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah, Judy was, Greer. What was your opinions on Judy Greer? Was Judy Greer the daughter? Uh, Judy Greer was the uh, mom. Yeah. Uh, she mm-hmm. was all right. Like, she had that, like, there was that one moment in the in the shelter at the end, which I really liked, her kind of twist there you know her yeah when it turns like, out she was a badass and she wasn't fearing him michael and shoots him around right the face that i thought that was great that was a great yeah, i think uh-huh. we could have had better build up to that uh-huh but i also kind of wish that the dad wasn't a character because he provided <laughs> yeah. a death he looked fucking awkward the entire time like i, oh, I think God, he might be a yeah. comedian in real life but uh-huh. he looked like he always thought he was the funniest like fucking guy in the room and it was, he was just a fucking rude asshole yeah like he, like and i i don't quite get how Judy Greer was with him, like in the story, like anytime oh, I didn't believe that he appeared, either. he was an asshole. Like it, it just I don't see any redeeming quality. We never got to see them share a moment. We never got to see him seem care, to care about her or anything. He yeah, just seemed and, like some ass who just like maybe was drunk or high the entire movie. And I mean that was definitely intentional because they wanted him to be unlikable because they wanted to focus on Laurie is right. Laurie is you know 
I definitely feel that's what the, the writers were intending, where he was supposed to be the antagonist to this conflict of Judy Greer, should I believe my mom, should I believe my husband's, being pulled between two world, worlds there. And we've established the problems with Laurie Strode and her character, but him, he was just, he was there to represent that. He wasn't a character unto himself. And the way he died was very unceremonious, too. Like, I was just, bam, okay, well, I guess he's out of the story. Wrapped up that loose end. You know what I was wondering about that? So he, he walks outside, right? Yeah. And when he, he opens the door, it hits the, the little cowbell thing. Uh-huh. Well, how does Michael take that cowbell chain off the fucking, like, porch without any noise happening? Like, <laughs> like he, he's, like he sees open the door and he's like, oh, it's a good weapon. I could just, like, walk by and stab him, choke him. I've cracked, I've, you showed me snapping somebody's neck earlier. Why, why did he go for the chain with the thing that could make the most possible noise? And then he turns the police officer's head into a jack-o'-lantern. Like, I, I just, I imagine the visual oh. of Michael sitting there and, like, doing arts and crafts with the head, putting in the seat. Does that look right? No, it doesn't. Let me turn it. There we go. That's more horrifying. Well, and that, that's actually, so, kind of, to use that as a tangent, like, what do you think of Michael in this movie? As, like, as a character? I, the tone, again, was all over the place. Because, I mean, I get overall they're trying to make him into this unstoppable force that just will never, ever stop. And I do feel the long tracking shots of him going around Haddonfield and just brutally murdering people by people, that is what I wanted to see more of. The bathroom mm-hmm. scene, that's what I wanted to see more of, except for the part where <sighs> the teeth. Yeah. When he drops the teeth on the bathroom floor, there was this element where he's toying with his victims. And I don't remember that in the original films. No, me either. Well, also, like, that teeth thing, I remember seeing that, they showed that in the trailer. A lot of these things in these lines they showed in the trailer, which is, I don't get what they're doing. Yeah. Uh-huh. But I was waiting for that scene, because, you know, it's in the trailer. He, he waits a long fucking time to drop those teeth. Yeah. He, like, he, he spends a lot of time making sure that he can do this. Like, he's like, is this her? Mm-hmm. Is she under this one? Nope. Is she in this one? Nope. She's in this one. He kind of walks away, comes back, drops mm-hmm. them. It's like he's double-checking. Like, mm-hmm. and... And I mean, that's part of his character, I guess. He's always the slow, methodical, you know, you could run away from him, but he's gonna, he's, he's never gonna stop. It's a tortoise in the hair situation. But, go ahead, I... Like, well, again, again, with with that whole running away and he appears thing, again, Mm -hmm. we don't really, in this movie, we don't have the canon for that, theoretically. All the other canon's been taken away. But, I I felt like Michael's performative nature in this movie is kind of weird. Like, the jack-o'-lantern... Uh, the tea thing, putting the ghost thing on the girl, which he didn't do to any of his other victims. That one victim he decided to kill and put the sheet over her head and cut out eyes for a ghost costume. Like, <laughs> what the fuck was he doing? Like, yeah. like, like literally, like, I get, like, I mean, they're trying to show that he's insane, but I feel like they would have to show other things to prove that. I don't like, even think and, that they and, were trying to show he was insane. I think that... It was an executive, or it's a writer somewhere writing the script and saying, okay, how can we make this kill more memorable? Well, let's have Michael do this. And they, they're trying to get that murder money shot instead of working with the character. Well, and, you know, it was the homage thing again, too, like, from the uh-huh. first movie when uh, the guy with the glasses gets killed that way. Yeah. But, you know, then they show the boyfriend with the, with the knife through his back holding up in the air like they did in the first movie. Uh-huh. But, again, like, it's, like you were saying earlier, the, the homage just goes over the top to the point that it the the canon of the movie like i forget what the word is for the sense of the movie but it just doesn't it the internal logic is just lost mm-hmm. or, or I, it's inconsistent my favorite michael moments is from the very first movie where he stabs i believe it was the boyfriend up against the wall and one it yeah. makes absolutely no sense in the laws of physics but who cares but he sits there, or he stands there for a moment, and takes a few seconds just to kind of admire his handiwork. I always thought that was the most chilling moment of the first movie, because it just, it really had a glimpse of how demented the mind of Michael Myers is, and this this is an art form to him. This is what he enjoys doing. This is what he his whole purpose is, basically. Ooh, and I didn't well, feel like they got that in this movie. Well, it's funny, because I actually, I, I took that scene with a completely different interpretation, uh-huh. I, I love that scene as well, but for a different reason. I took it as him with that childlike wonder, like a dog kind of looking at his head like, oh. Like, almost like he's surprised at what he did, or he's surprised that the knife's holding him up. Uh-huh. Kind of like that that self-reflection or that kind of 
not admiring it as much as kind of questioning it or kind of wondering what's going on. Like, it's one of the first kills we see for, that he does in the movie. Yeah. Like, we actually see him perform, so I almost kind of took it as like a childlike innocence of, like, why aren't we playing anymore? Like, why did this end, oh. you know? That's an interesting interpretation. It's the dog who catches the car, and now he doesn't know what to do with himself. Yeah, exactly. Or just kind of, or just kind huh. of like you know, waiting for something to happen. Like, oh, you're dead. Like, you know, maybe he's waiting for more of a fight or something. Like, I always gotcha. took it more as like an inquisitive head turn than a appreciative head turn. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I've always taken this more of a admiring his handiwork sort of thing. But that's interesting spin. I'm gonna have to see the original again and kind of analyze that. Um, what was I gonna say? Michael himself. So. Do you consider him intelligent? Uh, or do you consider him just running on simple programs? Well, I guess that kind of depends. Like, again, are we, are we considering just the first movie or are we considering the entire franchise? Uh, let's consider this new movie. Just the new movie and the first one? Just the new movie and the first one. Okay. I would consider him, the way that the movie presents him as less thinking, more just killing but not in a manic way mm-hmm. more he knows that he can kill he knows he has the power and he's gonna do it but i don't know he does do some weird shit in the original movie like i don't think anybody ever talks about the fact that he went and somehow dug up and dragged his dead sister's gravestone all the way to the strode house or whatever the house they're at um and put it on a bed over the babysitter's body mm-hmm. and then hid the other bodies like that he killed from the girl in the uh, in the car and stuff in the closet for some mm-hmm. reason. Hmm. Like I, I almost think that like there they were, they were establishing some sort of shrine to Judith, and that could have been kind of his motivation. Yeah, um, and but, they kind of took it that way with the later movies in the original canon with the whole weird cult angle, which I hated. But what? Yeah, you never did. You, no, you, did, you hated it. Yeah, the cult angle. Absolutely. I, I thought it was like. Like every franchise has that moment, like you know the uh, the weird dream worms in Freddy's Dead: The Final Nightmare, uh, uh-huh. the Jason Goes to Hell, Hell Slug. Uh-huh. Like I felt like you know it was it was time for that franchise, and you know it was fun to see Paul Rudd run around. I thought you know it was a it wasn't I just, a good I, decision, but it was an eighties. Yeah, I mean, in terms of 80s schlock, definitely. In terms of character development for Michael Myers, I just, he's a lot more terrifying when he's unexplained. He's a lot more terrifying when you don't quite understand why he's doing what he's doing, aside from the fact that he's evil and he enjoys killing. And he goes, oh boy, here I go killing again. Part of my thing is, like, I never quite took Michael as a character who liked killing. Like, I think this movie paint, like, definitely makes that more apparent. But again, Mm -hmm. I never saw him as a likes killing, just kind of it's what he does. Like, he doesn't enjoy it. He doesn't take pleasure in it. He just does it. And that's why I think before there wasn't a lot of art to it, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, in the first movie, I think you could argue that Michael Myers is an emotionally stunted person who, you know, killed his sister and hasn't really developed much since then. I think that's where a lot of, like, again, where the childlike inquisitiveness at killing somebody might come from, mm-hmm. uh, where the setting the shrine up to his sister kind of might come from. And in that way, you know, it kind of makes sense. He's, he's stuck in that moment from when he killed his sister that many years ago. He's still there. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, again, he fucking makes a jack lantern out of somebody's head and then leaves it in somebody's driveway to, again, intimidate Laurie, we're assuming, for some mm-hmm. reason. He drags the father up into the bathroom or whatever that room is they're in, in the closet, and hides his body there. Like, he's like a fucking pack squirrel. He just puts bodies in places like a window. <laughs> Yeah, and then the whole scene, which I, I, I thought was a very well-done scene, but if you really do think about it too much, it's really, huh, why would he do that? But the scene where the uh, the guy that the granddaughter friend-zoned, he dies in the yard with the floodlights, like, he was toying with him. And... And the coincidences of coincidences that he's fucking just there. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Like, did he know that the boyfriend was going to suggest that they hop through this sneaky way? Or is there some scene that we didn't see where Michael sees him do it? It's like, oh shit! And he runs around and like sneaks over there and hides and then... You yeah, know, no, the only thing I can think of is just they were being super, super loud. But otherwise, I just... Yeah. I don't know. And that, that one guy, the, the the guy who got friends on, I mean, he was really on the fence about being friends too. And <laughs> then he ends up literally on the fence. That's oh, terrible. Yeah. You're a terrible person. That's okay. But also, we saw him climb the fences earlier. Why was that one such an issue? Like, if Michael's just walking after him, dude, that could have guy could have just fucking made it. Uh-huh. 
Like, you know, it was a horror movie, so you know he wasn't going to, but I was like, you know, if Michael is walking the way he's walking, this kid has significant time to at least run around and kind of try to find a place to climb over. Like, maybe go back, run around in a circle, Michael, and try to run backwards. <laughs> you know, like... Yeah, I, well, some Benny Hill music plays in the background right there. No, yeah. it's... Uh, you know, it's like Edna, Edna Moen says, no capes. And this is this really, really does establish that capes were not a good idea for that dude. <laughs> Ugh. But I mean, it, just the whole scene where he's sitting there and the floodlights go out and then he come back on. He's not there anymore. That's just, that's classic horror movie stalker 101. And I do feel that was one of the homages that I really, really liked. That with homage I really liked. I liked when Jamie Lee Curtis fell on the ground. Michael turns his head, looks back. She's gone. I thought that was a brilliant homage. Mm. And then when she comes out of the darkness after Judy Greer shoots Michael at the yeah. very end of the movie. Everything else, though, I felt was a bit ham-fisted. And actually, it just made me think. Sorry, just rewind back for a second. It. When you're talking about like the, the light scene. I think the light scene would have been cool if we didn't know that it was a motion sensor timer. Like a motion mm-hmm. sensing light. Because I just, I, again, I'm thinking in my head, like, did Michael like sprint? From, like, where he was before. To, like, he had ran, stopped, and then waited for the light to come on, and then ran and stopped for the light to come on. Like, <laughs> wouldn't it have just come on as soon as he started walking towards that area? Like, we never uh-huh. see him in movement, in motion, so either those lights are just really shitty, like, but conveniently work when they need it to, like... Uh-huh. I don't a, know, I feel that feeds more into... He always is where he needs to be for his kill. And yeah. there is an element where... Like Jason, you know, there's an element where it feels like, oh, they these guys actually teleport at points. You never see them running, but here they are. And mm-hmm. that kind of helps the mystery of it. That kind of helps the persona of the character. So, yeah, but I, I, I feel like, but I feel like Michael in this series, they, I, in this movie, I felt they were trying to make him seem like human again. Like, you know, they, they showed him without his mask on and this, this kind of old, he's like, wrinkly gets hit by a car, gets knocked out, like mm-hmm. actually knocked out, not just pretending. Mm-hmm. Like, I felt like they tried to make him human at times. And then it, they also just didn't. Yeah, and it goes kind of back to what I was talking about with the tone. The tone was just, they didn't... I don't feel like there was a big tone that was established for this mm-hmm. movie, going back and forth. It, it felt like there were a lot of cooks in the kitchen for this one. They had to go back and forth. Oh, I think it should be this way. I think it should be that way. So, yeah. yeah. Well, which is... I'm, I kind of wonder, like, do you think... Would you think that would be, like, studio mandate? Would, with, you know, everyone blames studio for everything now. Would you think that would be, like, kind of the writing choice? Like, do you think that might be the fact that, you know, Danny McBride's writing a horror film? And yeah, I was about to say. I, I, I'm not sure if I want to insult Danny McBride at this point, but um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I really don't know. There were a lot of cooks in the kitchen for this one. The rights were kind of all over the place. And, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis, I'm sure she had significant input on this movie as oh, well. Yeah. And I don't know if she's written anything in her life actually, I, let me look that up real quick you know i'm looking right now at the director too uh-huh the director he's made he made uh uh the pineapple express he made your highness so he's he's worked with Danny McBride on a lot of things um but nothing here makes me feel like he would ever have been a good horror movie choice mm-hmm. like, i mean it explains I feel... the uh explains the humor definitely but yeah well like the movie the last movie he did before this was the movie about um with Jake Gyllenhaal and the uh, the guy who got hurt during the Boston bombing, that's the last movie he did before this. Mm-hmm. And before that, he did a movie called Goat, which no idea what it's about. But I don't. I wouldn't. I don't know why they chose him. Maybe maybe it was a package deal. Dan McBride and him. But yeah. like Blumhouse has a lot of good horror directors that they work with. Yeah, that's literally what I was just about to say. I mean, they're they're knocking it out of the park in terms of horror movies i mean they put out a lot of crap but they put a lot of really good stuff too and yeah. it's like I, I feel like and i feel like for an iconic horror franchise i i didn't really feel like a horror movie like it it felt kind of like it you know they almost kind of bought into the idea that we have now with a lot of um kind of horror, horror series that have gone on to create a franchise where the killer becomes the main character mm-hmm. um and it never felt like Michael was a threat. It felt like they introduced him as a character. They didn't try to build up to him. And, like, even, you know, the, the Friday the 13th remake, I thought Jason, you know, you're introduced to Jason more throughout the series or throughout the movie. Hmm. And this, even though that was, that they, they, literally, them, they condensed, like, three movies into one to make that guy. Um, and even, you know, it was a like greatest hits movie, basically. Yeah. But I felt like Jason as a character was more developed, and I felt like I cared more about the characters that in that. And, you know, this movie had 
basically two movies to develop our main character mm-hmm. and it felt like still it wasn't quite there i never really cared about anybody like i knew jimmy Lee curtis was never going to die i knew michael wasn't going to die i knew mm-hmm. probably none of her family would die <laughs> yeah and then the characters who did die they were so obvious like the second the dad was on the screen in that kitchen scene at the very beginning i was like yeah he's gonna die you know loomis's replacements the new loomis yeah he's gonna die all the annoying teenage friends that the granddaughter mingled with i mean yeah characters were introduced and you knew right off the bat they were going to die which some might argue is the fun of slasher movies i mean friday the 13th was extremely guilty of this where they would try to make the characters as annoying as possible yeah. remember the uh the, the the chocolate bar guy from the fifth friday the 13th movie yeah <laughs> i love that movie that like okay that's what we should make an episode about because i actually really enjoy that movie and I think all that right i'll have really to watch that again but definitely so but you know he's in there and it's just the characters are so exaggerated and I, that's I part were, of the charm were you expecting but... chocolate bar guy to die the way he did i'd say well, that, is a, a... That, that was a great twist in a in a horror movie I would okay say. so I, I retract happened. my statement I, I i'm not saying that scene was surprising i'm saying <sighs> the scene was surprising that, that was really just came out of nowhere. But the character itself, I mean, the Friday the 13th movie, were full of characters like that who were just so big well, with yeah, every like, single trait they had. Yeah, like the, the guy who gave Jason his mask, basically, that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and Halloween, I felt the A-plots, they tried to take it a little more seriously than the characters that supported it. Yeah, I think I agree with you completely. I think I think that was a big, I think... Like, if we were to kind of distill what was wrong with this movie, I would say that it was they wanted to make a modern movie that defied the conventions of, the, of like, the 80s, 70s slashers, but then also tried to make an 80s, 70s slasher movie. Mm-hmm. And if they picked one and gone whole hog with it, it would have been fun. It would have been a good movie. Like, it could have been, you know, really corny if it was, like, the 80s, 70s, or it could have yeah. been, like, a, you know, one of the Blumhouse kind of, like, scary horror movies they've been making mm-hmm. lately. But oh, my God. I want to see a Blumhouse do an Evil Dead movie so bad. Even Another though Ash movie? Williams is never... I, I want to see Blumhouse do an Evil Dead movie so bad. Even though Ash... Bruce Campbell said he'll never return to the role, but... Apparently, uh, Fede Alvarez was saying um, that uh, he is going to either make a sequel to Evil Dead or to um, Don't Breathe. And I guess they did, like, a, a fan vote on it. And I think people more, more people voted for Evil Dead. So they might make a sequel to the Evil Dead remake. Groovy. Which love that I'd be, one. I'd be so fucking down for that. I love that movie. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh... So, yeah, I mean, so what was something you liked about Halloween? The new one. All right. Um, so I made sure I thought about that before we did this. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, just to note him, but he's listening, when, uh, when Dan and I first talked about this, I didn't really hate it. I opened up when we talked about it, and I said, like, oh, I, I enjoyed it. But this, the more we talked about it, the plot points, the more I hated it. And that, that's <laughs> kind of where this idea, like, uh-huh. talk discussion about this came from. Like, I, I didn't initially came on, come on the week disliking it. There were things I thought were weird as I watched it, but I didn't dislike it. But through our discussion, I realized how much I didn't like it, uh-huh. which I didn't really expect at first. But um, but in terms of something I liked, I again that the badass scene with uh, the daughter or Lori's daughter, not her granddaughter, um, mm-hmm. I thought it was awesome. I thought that was a great little twist thing, and I thought it was nice to kind of see the character who we never really got anything besides her being the character who, who ignores her mom in this kind of raid it was nice to see that change um and i mm-hmm. thought the tracking shot in the beginning was mm-hmm. um again, now was do you very halloween too though be besides that one scene where judy greer says gotcha and shoots michael in the face the climax in general the whole home alone aspect what did you think of that honestly it felt very quick Mm-hmm. Um, which I think a lot, I think I'm pretty sure, like, again, like it was, again, like what, how, how most of these movies end with them in a house where Michael attacks the house and mm-hmm. in the end, most of the characters are usually killed off at that point. Um, so that was kind of predictable at the end. I liked some of the things, the decisions she made. I thought those were kind of cool, um, in terms of like the floodlights, like, oh, cool floodlights. Like what a neat, what a novel idea when somebody's trying to kill you, light up the place. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, like I, I, I didn't feel like anything was at risk. I didn't think any of them were going to die. I, didn't, I knew the father was going to die, but yeah, I didn't, like, I, like maybe the mother could have died in some kind of dramatic way, like not Laurie Strode, but the her daughter could have yeah. died in some way. Maybe protecting your daughter, 
and then her last through. lines are "You were right all along" or something like that. Yeah, and and but I liked I liked what they did with her. Again, I wish that they had showed something else of, between her and Laurie than that one little moment. There was no like, mm-hmm. you know, it was kind of like, oh, I'm this character who you know doesn't agree with my mom to do this stuff. I'm so afraid of it. But then as soon as Michael comes, she has that like, this wasn't a. This wasn't a shelter. It was a trap for Michael. Like, like, she's like, yo. By the way, I was totally in on this the entire time. J.K. Like, I, you know, like she sounded like, you know, like that, like your friend who kind of like was like, oh yeah, I knew what I was doing the entire time. I know this happened. Cool. I was ready for this shit. Like, like, none of, like I, I guess again, I guess the final act didn't work for me. Like, it, it felt really weird. I felt like, I felt like I would have rather just had Lori like fucking shoot him, and that would have been uh-huh. a kind of like badass moment. Just like you know, like the I'm not afraid. I'm gonna confront this one on one. I'm not gonna develop some weird trap where somehow her idea was to get Michael to come down the stairs or to think that she could kick him down the stairs. Like, well, apparently that was her plan was to trap him down there and burn the house up down. Yeah. Like what? How was she? Yeah. I mean, that? they, she could have included a trap door or something like that. It was very, like, yeah, getting him down out. there definitely seemed like that. There, there were a lot of things that could have gone wrong in that but, aspect. Why, why and they could have, What's up? Dude, why get him down there? You know what you see, you know what I would do? Like if, if I was like, okay, I need some kind of surefire way and I have some time to prepare for it. Like I felt like her just fucking, you know, steel plating a hallway and having a door that she could bolt and then just sitting in there with a the shotgun. And mm-hmm. you have to walk down that hallway to get to her. That would have been like more effective, more sure, less preparation. Yeah. Or just have a fucking loaded gun and don't, you know, stand in an empty room. You're safe. He's not gonna throw shit at you. I don't know. What, what what do you think of the ending? Sorry, I feel like I just shit all over it, and that's it's, you know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I I felt I felt they could have home alone it up a little bit more. Hmm. Like there were a lot of little really stupid decisions that Laurie made. Like that one part at the very very beginning where Michael reaches his hand through the door when Laurie is standing right there. Like really, yeah. really, Laurie, really. Oh God, that was that was an amateur mistake, Laurie. And then. I agree. The whole trap inside the basements. How's Michael going to get down there? It's not a safe room. It's a trap. <sighs> yeah. I, I definitely felt like she could have incorporated, especially since she had 40 or so years to actually deal with it, she could have incorporated a lot more in terms of being a failsafe in there. <sighs> it just, it goes back to what I'm thinking about the movie in terms of it just feels a lot of scenes are there to look cool, either mm-hmm. as a homage to the original or just to have that fuck yeah moments where Lori gives Michael his cup intense. But together, yeah, when you think too hard about it, it does start to fall apart. Well, like, actually, you just, you just remind me of another scene. She has all these shutters installed on these fucking doors, which, you know, an excellent bump can knock down, which great, great safety for your children. Um, but, like, you have shutters on the doors to the rooms and not, not, not on the outside windows to stop them getting in that way, like, which, cool, great. Um, so you block off all the doors. You've blocked off every doorway except for one. So you have an option. He's either in that room or he's not. I would just fucking press the button, close it on him, and make him come to you down the way. Like, I would cut out all options of him coming towards you and then gear up that way, like... She mm-hmm. goes up there with the idea of facing him and whatnot and kind of, you know, isolate him. But why don't you just shut the, slam that shutter down? Don't explore the room where he could or couldn't be. Either he's going to be in there being like, oh, shit, I guess I got to go around again. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, or he'll be Yeah, I mean, he's it's not Michael there. Myers. It's not like he's going to wait for you. He's, he's going to come after you no matter what, so. Yeah, like, I feel like with me, I would have just hit that other shutter down. Like, why go into the room where you have fucking weird-ass mannequins? Like... <laughs> like, I, I, I get that they're shooting things, but they should be out in a shed somewhere, not on a fucking uh-huh. building. Like, she has apparently <laughs> enough property to put a shooting range in there. She probably has, has somewhere to put those mannequins. Yeah, just leave them outside. Yeah, you know? like with, with all the other ones. Uh-huh. Like, oh, reason, yeah. See, I, yeah. every time we talk about this, I, just, I think of more things I'm, I'm not sure what they're doing. Like. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really think my biggest problems with the movie just stem from the fact that there's so many scenes in there that are just there to look cool. But when you really think about it, it makes no logical sense. And a lot of horror movies are like that in a way. But the very, very best ones, they do make sense. Oh, like, and, and if they, or like, they don't they, take themselves seriously at all. Well, I'm okay at movies not making sense too. Like, I kind of like, I, 
I, there are a lot of movies that I think it's kind of cool and they allow the audience to kind of reason out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I think it's in their movies where characters make stupid decisions, but nobody makes a good decision when you're about to get murdered. Yeah. But, like, again, this she's presented as this character who's so dedicated to this mm-hmm. that it just doesn't feel like it when push comes to shove. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were saying about the tone of the movie being all over the place. It's it's some aspects, it's like it wants it to be a slapstick comedy horror movie. Sometimes it wants it to be this really, really personal story about this woman who's been ravaged by a serial killer when she was a teenager. And then sometimes it's just, don't think too hard about it, guys. It's just a movie. And they don't stick to any one tone. Yeah. Well, actually, I'm, I'm yeah. really curious. What is the what is the review for this? What is the uh, Rotten Tomatoes for this? Let's see. It's very high up there. Like, and I feel like it is. I feel like I've heard so many great things about it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Yep, it had it's a certified fresh of 79 percent uh, by the critics and a 74 percent by audiences. And mm-hmm. I'm trying to think like what's what's another horror movie that you'd equate to this? Like the movie that you would think would be we'd compare it to if we were to look up another one. <sighs> Honestly, probably one of the later Halloween sequels. All right, all right. Let's see. Uh-huh. Okay, let's see. Let's look up H two O. I think we could both agree H two O is a good Halloween film. Yeah, it's good. It continues. Oh, it has fifty two percent. It's certified rotten. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how I'm much of that is like the it. fact that it's been the first Halloween movie in forever. So yeah. And apparently, you know, uh, John Carpenter helped compose the music and stuff, so it's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. They brought I, back I, a lot of nostalgia. Which I, I kind of... like. I, I feel like there's this idea a lot of times where, like, if the original creator said it's cool, then it's cool, you know? Like, if they give it their mm-hmm. blessing. And it's like, didn't Stephen King give uh, the Dark Tower movie his blessing? You he know? did. And, and didn't, I mean... <laughs> George give... Lucas? George, yeah, that's who I was going <laughs> to say, George Lucas. And there was uh, George Romero. George Romero, God, he, the last two movies he did, Diary of the Dead, and what was what was the other one he did? Oh, shit, Diary of the Dead, um, he did Land, and he did Land the other pretty one good. Too. That was all right, but, Diary of the Dead, there's like, I can't, I've, I've watched all the ones he made, and like, they're so forgettable. Uh-huh. It's, it's no, and shame. then Dawn of the Dead and um, Day of the Dead were incredible, and Night of the Living Dead, obviously, that moved up the whole thing, but, yeah, and then he released the last two, and they were terrible. Okay, no, this is going to know me. Dire of the Dead and... Come. Survival of the Dead. Survival of the Dead. Really? I think so. Survival of the... It is Survival of the Dead. Oh, I'm so good. I yeah. don't remember that at all. Was, I... that the, was that the hidden footage one, or was that Diary of the Dead? Diary of the Dead was... Uh, Survival of the Dead was the direct sequel, where they kind of, like... At one point, the two movies cross over, where you see the people, I think, from Diary of the Dead in it. But and Diary that... of the Dead was the found footage Blair Witch-style one, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I saw oh. that one. I don't think I saw Survival, but... Yeah. For some reason, I did. Uh-huh. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> um, wasn't good. But, like... Yeah. You know, like, okay. What was your opinion of Annabelle, the original? We did see that together. We did, it was yeah. okay. It was okay. I do feel like they cheapened out on the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, that one almost twist at the very, very end, I really wish they would have went through with it in the crib. Mm. because I felt like that could have been the most horrifying ending possible. Oh, yeah. And I love it when movies do that. Like, The Mist, the ending of The Mist, God, that's amazing. Dude, so and good. then Hereditary had a lot of great moments like that, too. But overall, I mean, it definitely, in terms of the Conjuring cinematic universe, it was one of the lesser ones. I heard the sequel was a lot better. Oh, the sequel But it fun, does, yeah. still doesn't, doesn't hold a candle to the first two Conjuring movies, which I really liked. Like, so I'll agree with you there. But what I will say is, I would much rather watch. Like, this is going to be polarizing, I'm sure. I would much rather watch Annabelle than watch Halloween again. Why? I, I felt like it was more interesting. I was more again more engaged in the characters. I I, I enjoyed some of the, the moments they did well. I thought they did well, and, and the, the movie knew what it was. It knew what, what uh-huh. it was going for. Like say nothing else, that movie tonally was you know a fucking straight line. Consistent. Yeah. Like it, it knew what it was. It knew what kind of movie it was. Uh-huh. It some Didn't scenes. hit it out of the park, but yeah. yeah. Like it, it felt like a film that knew what it was doing. And, like, I'm looking at the, the critics' consensus. That was 29% on a tomato. Uh, and it says, the one of the people's, like, you know, the, the critic consensus responses, Animal borrows unabashedly from better horror films, content to leave viewers with a string of cheap jolts that failed to build on the far more effective The Conjuring. And I feel like Annabelle by itself 
if people keep comparing to The Conjuring, if you didn't, I think, you know, it stands to be a pretty good film. You know, it'd be surprising you wouldn't have known who Annabelle was. But this movie by itself is pretty freaking bad. Like, if, if you take out the other, what you know about it, what we know about Michael, what everybody's aware of. What yeah, Michael. as a standalone, because it does so much of it rest on the laurels of the original. Exactly. And like, no and pun I feel intended. Like, but. I feel like this criticism would have been a great thing to apply to this film. Like, Bowers on a Bash even better horror films, namely the film, the prior film and some of the sequels. It's, mm-hmm. a, cheap, it's a string of cheap jolts that don't build, that don't build on the original. Like, mm-hmm. perfect, perfect description. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, any closing thoughts we have on this movie? Uh, what about the dancing kid? That kid who just wanted to dance, that Jimmy Jr. Get out of here. Get out of here, Bob. Jimmy, no, no, no. Yeah, he, he, he just wanted to dance, and then Michael killed him off right there. It was... I, poor Jimmy Jr. I was I was very, very sad to see him go. Very poor Jimmy Jr. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I guess my final thoughts... I, I don't hate the movie. I really don't. I think... Yeah. It's not great. It's not terrible. But it's... I think I would have enjoyed the movie more had I not heard how great it was, and how do I not consistently heard people saying that it's like one of the best of the franchise yeah no definitely not and i i, I agree with that I, I would say it's a solid seven out of ten maybe it's totally it's all over the place there were a lot of really really cool scenes and a lot of really really well done scenes but they just they don't connect together as well as i would have liked and it definitely feels like there's a lot of stuff that was just kind of cut and pasted, moved around, shuffled around, and they really didn't give a chance to sit down and think about okay, how does it flow together now that we've shuffled all the stuff around? Mm. And I felt a little more time in the editing process would have helped out immensely. Yeah, like if I was doing a Halloween marathon, I'd watch it. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if I felt like watching some Halloween films, I'd, I'd put it on. Yeah. But I would, I would, you know, I'd rather watch the first one. I'd rather watch the second one. I'd rather watch the third one. Yeah. Like, there, there's movies that I'd put before it, but I wouldn't, if I got a collection and it was in it, I wouldn't not watch it, and I wouldn't not desire to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, though, actually, but one other thing to kind of ask you about. So, the, do you stay for the end credits? Yes. So, apparently, right after, well, I didn't stay for it, but I read up on it later. So, apparently, he's breathing after the end credits? Yeah. Okay. So, how do you feel? Like, uh, I, I think they've already been in talks or they've there have been some press saying that they're oh, yeah. kind of I mean, planning Halloween the too. movie you... sold like hotcakes and moving back and forth on that one yeah there, there's no it. way they're not going yes. to make a sequel so do you want to see a sequel I'm curious to see where they'll go with it but mm-hmm. I'll keep expectations low what because would you want to see? what would you want the sequel to be That's a good question. Like, my very first thought would be, okay, the three women being badasses somewhere and hunting down Michael, the three of them together, as, like, some sort of big vigilante thing. But I'm not sure how well that would work as a horror movie, and I could see it very well falling into a lot of the same traps this one did, mm-hmm. where no one believes them. Oh, Michael is... Michael died. He, you know, was burned alive in the house. There was no body found or whatever, and... I could see it falling into a lot of traps like that, but I'm some sort of vigilante story would be my first thought. Hmm. I, I feel like for them to course correct for me for this to be a movie that I'd want to see a sequel to, hmm. I'd want them to start the movie off um, kind of what they did with some of the Friday the 13th movies where have some of them, some of the survivors die immediately. Mm-hmm. Like not necessarily, you know, not like in the first two seconds, but you know, have them die off pretty quickly. Like yeah. I would say, I think it would be kind of, bold for them to kill off the you know if they want to continue the franchise and keep a younger character uh kill off either the mom or the daughter first mm-hmm. um i would probably say the mom so they can kind of you know cater to the young audience and develop the franchise more um, yeah kill off the and mom and i can't see judy greer wanting to stick around the franchise too long anyway yeah exactly i killed off judy greer you know maybe in the first 10 15 minutes that'll be kind of opening kill maybe have some scene where you know michael got here somehow something happens um, mm-hmm. And then have Lori die either halfway through the film or kind of in the final act. Have, or yeah. have her actually. I, I want to see her die around like the maybe third of the movie left. Like maybe at the beginning of the climax. Have her die and have her that be set the tone for you don't know what's going to happen next. Her yes. death at that kind like of key that. moment will kick things off and make you wonder who's going to die, who's going to live. Maybe you know maybe Michael maybe Michael actually win by killing them all. Maybe that could be a, uh-huh. a you know 
Like I just I that, don't want to see happened. another Halloween resurrection where she dies at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. Like I, I almost said do that at the beginning, but I'm like, yeah, it's too much. And I think I think again, I think having the having the daughter die, having things seem okay, having Laurie's daughter die to start off the killing. That was kind of you know, that's if we think of like a, a plot diagram, that's the inciting yeah. incident. She dies, kicks off, climax, Laurie dies, falling action happens after that. Like mm-hmm. that I, I think that would be a good story. And I think it would be again, it would kind of show if we want to talk about a scarred character, like I think, and kind of, but not continue forty years later and actually see that scar develop, have it that be the, the thing that gets this girl, uh, Laurie's youngest daughter or your Laurie's granddaughter, to take that path and maybe have the future films be her kind of fighting whether or not she wants to become what Laurie became or become something different. Yeah, and like maybe and have that be part of this the arc of this story. About her seeing what Laurie's become and have Laurie revealed to her more. It's like kind of seeing that broken nature, seeing this woman, this woman who she doesn't see very often, but we kind of get the idea that she idolizes her a little bit or, you know, views her fondly and have her spend time with her. Maybe even at times, even though this is going on, kind of be a little bit repulsed by her grandmother in terms of what she's doing, what she's willing to do. Mm-hmm. Like, have I think that would be interesting. Like, because I think that's part of what they're lacking here. I think we could have really done with following the daughter as she experiences life with her crazy kind of grandmother but they're only together yeah, absolutely. at the end that was that was a huge missed opportunity for me too where they tell us that okay Lori had gave her an absolutely shitty childhood but we don't they don't show us they mm-hmm. tell us they don't show us yeah, yeah. alrighty alright alrighty so thanks for listening everyone and we'll catch you next time do 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 do